0: Get your advanced PhD in WoW from Floor and Decor. If you're a pro, you're already an expert in tile, wood, and stone. And with Floor and Decor's job site delivery, their free design services, and pro rewards that actually reward you, your business is set to grow from one client to the next. Floor and Decor isn't just a couple of aisles, it's an entire store designed to help your business boom. It's Floor and Decor. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Well, whether we like it or not, first impressions matter. A good or bad first impression can mean the difference between landing the job or getting a polite rejection email, getting a first date, or getting ghosted via text. Given the stakes involved... You know what kind of first impression you make? Well, my guest is a psychologist who specializes in the science of first impressions and has written the most useful and thorough book on the topic that I've come across. Her name is Anne Demaray, and her book is First Impressions What You Don't Know About How Others See You. And today on the show, Anne explains how quickly we make a first impression and the psychological biases that influence how people judge you and how you judge others. Now, we then dig into what you should focus on during a first interaction to give a good impression and the behaviors you may think come off as neutral or positive, but actually read in a negative way. For example, you may think you're giving off a relaxed, cool dude vibe during a social interaction, but others might see you as being aloof. It explains how to find these blind spots in your self-awareness and what you can do about them. And we end our conversation by going through some actionable tips to become more charismatic, like how to keep a conversation going when you first meet someone, how to show interest in someone without looking creepy, and the common mistakes men make with their first impressions. And if you happen to blow your first impression... And shares how to recover. Great show with lots of actionable advice. After the show's over, check out the show notes at aom.is/slash first impression. And Demore, welcome to the show. Hi, Brett. Well, glad to have you. I really enjoyed your book. It's all about first impressions, and that you are a first impressions consultant I am I'm curious. <laughs> yeah I mean that's that's an interesting thing uh, job title not I've, you're the first, first first impression consultant I've met um, huh. <laughs> And, and there's I'm cur- more of us there's more um, of you but
1: yes well my colleagues
0: right well I'm curious like what kind of clients do you have Who, Who's your clientele?
1: Well we work with a number of different clients. We work in the business world we do executive coaching. we also coach people on making a positive impression at job interview. We also do simulated first dates or first social encounters and give people feedback about how they come across interpersonally. And um, we also do seminars for special interests like real estate agents or other groups, etc., we're based here in New York City, and we also have an office in California. Well,
0: that's fantastic. And uh, the book that I read is First Impressions: What You Don't Know About How Others See You." And we'll get into some of the details yes. of that. But let's start with this question because I think uh, when people think about first impressions, I'm sure I think a lot of people roll their eyes and like, oh, for, it's so superficial to think about uh, your first impression. You know, what's, it's not on the, it's not you shouldn't judge a book by its cover and all that. Mm. What's your response to those those types of criticisms?
1: Well, a lot of times on the discomfort of a first meeting, we may not present ourselves authentically. You know, we may be a little bit more shy or a little bit more talkative. We may not be the way we normally are or way our best friends see us. So actually we may send unintended negative messages. And so it's just really helpful to know how you're coming across in these situations so that you can be aware of it and you can tweak it. And just like putting on a clean shirt when you go to a job interview, it doesn't mean you're inauthentic. It just means you're want to start out on a positive first step.
0: Yeah, I thought it was an interesting point you made. Uh, first impressions aren't, or thinking about your first impression isn't so much about changing how you, how you are, but actually making sure that your authentic self is conveyed to others that you don't know.
1: Yes. So you're coming across the way you want to be and that you're not sending or leaking any unintended messages that may you know, cause relationships to not go the way you want them to. So you just have a little bit more control. And you don't have to walk around trying to make a great first impression on everyone that you meet or you pass by on the street. But, you know, if you want to, you can know the tools to do it in a positive manner.
0: So you start off in the book digging into the psychology of these filtering errors that we all have when we're sizing up someone that causes us to misjudge someone. And because of those filtering errors, that's why it's so important to think about your first impressions. Yes. So what are some of those, what are some of those errors that we we have?
1: Yeah. So first impressions is like a filter. We all think we're good judges of character. So we take initial information in about someone, and then we form an impression and we expect that person to behave that way in the future. And then we sort of filter the way we see their behavior so that we're more likely to see things consistent with our initial filtering. Imp- filtered impression, and may not pay attention to the other behaviors. So your initial behaviors will affect how people perceive you moving forward or bias them to seeing you in one way or the other.
0: Right one of those is the halo effect I think you talk about Yeah
1: so there's some biases that we all have yes a halo effect so if you see one positive thing in someone you may assume they have a cluster of other positive traits that you've not seen and may not be true so if someone's upbeat you might think they're also more successful and have other positive qualities that may not be there. Likewise, the horns effect, if you see one negative behavior, you might assume they have a host of other negative behaviors that may not be true. So we sort of spread, we see one initial thing and assume that there's a cluster of other traits along with it. There's also basically the primacy effect. We weigh initial information more heavily than later. So if we see the first things we know about someone, we believe to be more true than the second things we see about them. So people see a small percentage of you and they assume that it represents... 100% of you. And then there's one other kind of error, which is what's called the fundamental error of attribution. So it's when we see someone behaving in a certain way, do we assume it's because of their personality or because of the situation? And the, the bias is when someone behaves, say, angrily, we assume they're angry always and everywhere. That it's their personality. But when I'm angry, it's not because it's my personality. I assume it's a situation that something bad just happened to me. Someone cut me off or was rude, and it's just a temporary or situational thing. But I'm going to judge others in the other direction. So there's all these unconscious biases about how people perceive you. That if you're no, you know, if you're aware of them, you know, you can be careful to be. You know, put your positive traits first, and that you will have a halo effect, and the positive behaviors will be seen as the way you'll behave always.
0: Right? Uh, do you do you know if there's any research on like how quickly we make first impressions? Is it like just in a few seconds, or does it take a little bit?
1: Well. That is actually, there is no specific amount of time that I've looked a lot into this research. People start forming an impression of you from initially when they meet you just on your your body and the way you dressed and the way you carry yourself. And then in the course of an initial conversation, that will be the unit of time. So if we have a five-minute conversation, you'll probably, you know, use that five minutes. You may have some positive or negative initial impressions based on something that if I do a particular gaffe, or I can keep the door open longer. But uh, it's not just three seconds. You have a little bit more than that.
0: So the thing I love most about this book that really was really eye-opening for me, you know, the title of the book is What You Don't Know About How Others See You, are these traits or these these expressions that we give off that we think are positive or neutral, Mm -hmm. but are actually being interpreted as something negative by the other person. What are some of these common expressions or attributes that we might think, oh yeah, like I'm that I I gave off a good first impression, but other someone else who was there be like, no, that guy's kind of a jerk or kind of weird.
1: Yeah. So sometimes again, in the discomfort of meeting people, we might, Kind of shy, so we might say a lot less than we normally do. When people might assume we're aloof or arrogant or not interested, we're really just shy and are a little bit uh, take longer to warm up with new people. Or we might be overly talkative and feel like we have to really, you know, put a lot of stuff out there. We might come across as self absorbed and uninterested in other people. When when that may not be true, but it might just be like an awkward, tension filled kind of behavior that you project. So there's many ways that we can, and so in our book, if you saw there's, we have tables that talk about positive behaviors it can make that have, you know, an intended positive impression. And sometimes behaviors that we do that we think is making a certain impression, but actually can make. An unintended negative impression. And so that's kind of the really helpful way to kind of decompose the way you present yourself and be aware of, oh, maybe if I don't smile and I hold back and sort of wait and see what things are, what the environment's like before I enter in, I might feel like I'm just being safe and easy, but I might be coming across as, like I said, aloof or unhappy and unwilling to, you know, provide entertainment to others.
0: Right. I know I'm guilty of that one. Sometimes I'll just, you know, I, I'm one of those like I'll wait for the conversation and not inject myself in there because I'm afraid of coming off as too overbearing. But my wife sometimes says when we're like you, you kind of seemed aloof, and I was like, I, I didn't feel aloof. I felt like I was in the conversation?
1: You know, we all have the power to create the mood around us. So we can create a positive mood that's going to make the whole interaction go in a more pleasant way rather than just trying to say neutral or or removed. So we can say something positive. We can introduce ourselves. We can add some levity. There's lots of ways we can create a positive mood around us more actively rather than passively.
0: Gotcha. So you, you go into, there's, in any interaction that we have with someone, there are four ways, four areas we can focus on to help bolster our first impression. Um, what are those four yeah. ways?
1: So the first one is we focus on how we're feeling. So we're in a new interaction. We're probably thinking I'm comfortable or I'm nervous or I'm bored. It's just spontaneously comes to mind. We can't help thinking about how we feel. Then we might shift. The second focus is, well, what do I think about this person? You know, do I like him or her or, you know, what's my impression of them, that sort of naturally kind of comes to mind. Then if we're in a new situation where like on a job interview, we might start thinking, what's that person thinking about me? You know, we start to sort of self-monitor and think about that. But the one focus that we often don't pay attention to is how's that person feeling about him or herself just by interacting with me? And, you know, it's just something that you need some conscious effort to to explore. And that's actually the secret to making a positive first impression. So it's really about satisfying other people's needs, making an effort to make them feel happier and better just by interacting with you. And so paradoxically, paying attention to satisfying other people's needs is the shortest route to getting what you want out of social interactions and relationships.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people naturally you probably focus on what's that other person thinking about me? I think you talk about the spotlight mm-hmm. effect, right?
1: Yes. That's an easy thing to come to mind. And we just don't normally think, how are they feeling? Are they feeling happy? Let me pay attention to them. Let me give them some attention. And so it's really about being socially generous, trying to be, you know, we might be generous with charity, but we don't always think, I can be generous to this person and I can try to make them feel better and feel happier. And so- It's really an easy thing to do, but sometimes people are like, well, I don't really know how to be socially generous. What am I supposed to do? How to make people, you know, feel better? And everyone has different interests, but there are some universal things that most people like, and we call them social gifts. And there's four of them at least. And one is being appreciated. Almost everyone likes to feel respected for who they are, for their talents or accomplishments and just, you know, accepted. So that's a really common thing that you can do by just pointing out to someone that you really think that's great that they have launched a really successful podcast, for example, or, you know, some talent that they have. Another social gift is connection. People like to feel that they have something in common with someone. So if you point out where you share an experience or a value or you like some of the same things, it helps people to feel comfortable around you and they will like you more because this reciprocity of interests and, and values. The third one is most people like a little elevation. Like a lot of people you meet, well, some people you meet always put you in a better mood and you just feel really just elevated from being around them. A lot of people it's just kind of neutral and some people it's kind of a downer after talking to them, you feel like in a worse mood. We don't always think that we too have the power to affect the mood of others around us. And so you can have a little levity. It doesn't mean you have to be telling lots of jokes, but you can just be lighthearted, focus on the positive, talk about funny little things that happen to you. You can just improve people's moods. And the last one is what we call enlightenment. And that's just having interesting conversational topics, being able to Share information with someone. It doesn't have to be, you know, kind of heady intellectual stuff. It could just be something that's going on in the community or things that happened. So, just being able to have some topics to to throw on the table. So, that's some of these. We can be out strengthened. We might be really good at gleaning fascinating information and sharing it, but we might not be that, you know, focused on being appreciative or connecting. So sometimes we have an imbalance. We focus on one of these gifts and unknowingly, here's another like unintended consequence. We might be depriving people of these needs that they really want. Like they want to feel appreciated and connected and we're focusing on trying to share information or be funny. So It's helpful to think about what your strengths and weaknesses are. And having a balance of these four things is really charismatic. You know, if you can probably think of people that are super easy to be around, they probably provide you with some of these these gifts.
0: I was curious, is it is it possible to be like overly socially generous? Or is it you can never it's not too much of a good thing?
1: It's usually More the better. It's possibly too much. Some people have an interactive style where they're sort of do rapid fire questioning and it's sort of like an interrogation. And in some ways it's like a little bit flattering to have all this interest, but then you come somehow end up being like on a more passive answering rather than connecting. You're depriving them of the opportunity to sort of like share back or ask you. So there is that sort of, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone just asks you a million questions and you feel a little bit like on the sidelines of the interaction.
0: Yeah, or you feel interrogated.
1: (laughs) You feel interrogated, yeah. But back to these social gifts, there's something called, psychologists call it social exchange theory, which is it sounds cold, but we evaluate others by the gifts that they bring us and the costs that they incur. So if someone's going to be easy to be around with and is going to provide us with these kinds of gifts, they're more appealing and we're more attracted to them. And people that have more social costs that look like they've got needs they're looking to fulfill and they're self-involved are going to be less attractive and appealing. So we unconsciously evaluate and are evaluated by these kinds of gifts that we give to people.
0: So uh, later on in the book, you talk about sort of the fundamentals of a good first impression, and one of the first ones is just appearing accessible, right? Someone could approach you. So how do we appear more accessible? So
1: that's the very first of a first impression, is how you kind of make yourself seem comfortable and approachable. And there's a couple of elements. One really is mood, like I talked about. If you project a positive mood versus a dour kind of expression, you're going to be much more appealing and much more attractive. You know, you're walking into a party where you don't know anyone. If you see someone that has a more elevated mood, they're smiling, they're going to be easier to approach. Our body language, whether we're making eye contact, we have an open posture, Those are things that make people more approachable and more accessible. And then, as I was mentioning before, being proactive. If someone comes up and introduces themselves, it's immediately you assume that they're more confident and then they're certainly making you more comfortable and they're putting themselves out there so that you can have a more quick connection. So that's really like sort of your welcome mat. Right, your body language and your mood.
0: Uh, So being on body language and mood, uh, are there behaviors that, you know, going back to like, you know, people see us differently than the way we think we're projecting. Are there behaviors Mm. that we think are neutral when it comes to approachability that actually make us look closed off and defensive?
1: Yeah. That's like I was saying um, earlier, just not smiling. Sometimes we feel like a smile seems forced and that if, that it seems unnatural, but actually it's one of the few things that I really recommend people do even if they don't, you know, naturally smile. It just really is more of a welcome mat. And so our facial expression has like lightning speed impact on others. And actually frowning is something that we scan the world. It's like a threat and we register it very quickly and so if you don't have a positive or if you have a negative facial expression, it'll be more readily recognized and you will be less approachable and feel that like people will be less comfortable around you. So it's something to, that's the one welcome mat that I really recommend that you even put on if it feels uncomfortable, but to do it anyway, just to smile when you meet someone for the first time. It tells them that you're happy to be in their presence, that you're, you know, a positive person, even if you are just feeling kind of neutral. It's kind of like the the clean shirt.
0: Right, right. Well, going back to this idea of uh, being proactive, you know, introducing yourself, is there a time when maybe you should not be proactive because being that upfront might turn people off? Like, how do you figure out what's the best approach in a certain situation?
1: Sure. It's going to depend. I mean, if you walk into a party and people that know each other, engage in a, you know, intense conversation, you don't necessarily want to bust in and introduce yourself. You know, there's certainly situations where if it's a small group, there's another person standing alone. It's very easy to introduce yourself. If you're at a business conference, you can go and introduce yourself to other colleagues. It's very simple and and people usually welcome it.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I feel like most people—they—they they, you think they're not going to welcome it, but most people like once you do, they're like actually pretty excited that someone reached out to them.
1: Yeah, you've t- taken the burden off of them, right? So you've made it easier for them to, to connect.
0: Okay, let's uh, let's say you've you've made that introduction, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got that little bit of conversation, yeah, going. How do you keep that conversation going so you leave a good first impression? So as you said earlier, a first impression isn't, isn't made in three seconds. It might be within the five-minute conversation mm-hmm. you have. So what's going on? Well,
1: maybe there? I can speak to what we call these fundamentals. So there's like elements that make a positive impression. And so the first one we just talked about was being accessible. The next really important one to do is just to show interest. As long as you're not interrogating. But, um, and that can be done by asking open-ended versus closed-ended questions. Not like, where do you live? But, you know, what do you like about where you live? And what do you like to do for fun? Things that can open up and have people share their passions. And really importantly, it's helpful not to keep segueing back to yourself. So if someone says, you know, I like to, I I just came back from a trip to Paris, and then I say, I went there too last year, and here's a 10-minute explanation of my story, then I've deprived that person of, you know, sharing and, and, you know, connecting. So showing interest is really one of the fundamentals. It's easy, especially if you're someone that's not as comfortable in new situations and don't know a lot of topics. Asking the other person about him or herself and following up is a great way, because interest, begets attraction really so then the topics like you said well what do we talk about you know we're mutual blank slates right we don't have any I don't know you at all so you know what would I talk about my model airplane hobby or my position on gun control or where do you start and there are some kind of you know basic steps that most people do that make you more comfortable to be around just the first one is being like in the moment you know, talk about the weather or the music in the space or the, the the speaker we just saw or that we both know the the host. And that just makes people seem safe and comfortable and we're sharing the same space. We're in the moment. Then you can sort of warm up and talk about, you know, current events or facts or things. And once you have more of a foundation, you can move into talking more about opinions and values and things that you don't want to dive into quite as quickly until you've established more of a foundational rapport.
0: Yeah. Going, I, I love the idea of, um, you know, making, whenever you are asking questions about somebody and they give you an answer, making sure not to bring the conversation back to you. We wrote an article about conversational narcissism a long time oh, ago. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, yes. and it's funny, like ever since I wrote that article and I'm talking, taking part in conversation, I'll see people doing it or I'll catch myself doing it. Yeah. Because it's, so it's so easy to fall into because like you have this information, like you know about it, so you want to share it, but uh, mm-hmm. you got to fight that urge.
1: Right, we all have, you know, the stuff on top of mind and it just, yeah, it's the easiest things to do is just to narrate our thoughts, right? That's the least effort. And conversational narcissists tend to brag, Talk about themselves a lot, glaze over when others are speaking, constantly segue back to themselves. Um, it's really unappealing, and you know, uh, again, it's it's something that we're not aware of doing. We've probably all done it at least sometimes when we're uncomfortable or something super present in our minds. So it's just really important to check yourself, especially when you're in a new meeting. You want to speak shorter and then pass the ball. When you're with friends and family you can say hey something major happened today I want to tell you this long story and that's a great forum for telling your long stories but in a new a inter- new situation you want to really pass the ball back because otherwise you'll be an unappealing narcissist in conversation
0: got to show interest and I love how you you really hit on the point that you know starting the conversation what you talk about is you talk about really mundane things and a lot of people are like oh it's so I hate I hate those like uh, superficial conversations, but like if you're meeting someone new, like you don't want to delve right into like so. Tell me your opinion on whatever hot button topic, or what's the meaning of life. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you, you have to sort of have an on ramp to get to that point.
1: Yes, exactly. I like that metaphor. It's an on ramp, so you warm up. So, and then you know, the, just like there's general things to avoid, like religion and politics, some things that are too heavy, you might want to avoid. Or I once had a client that said, you know, he just got this medical news that was really great. He just found out he was cured of something. And so it was very exciting to him. And it was great. But then it was put the other person put me in a position where I couldn't speak about a movie I saw last night without being kind of like rude. So In some ways, you want to hold back even positive, heavy personal information with a new person.
0: Right. I think, yeah, that example, that example was with the, like he was preparing for a date, right? Like he wanted,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's, (laughs) it's probably not something you want to bring up on a first date.
1: Yeah. So even though it's really exciting, you share it with other people, that can come up in, you know, in a later interaction. And the banalities, you know, the details of everyday life or, um, what's called negative egocentrism, complaining about one's problems, um, are unappealing. And also you have to be careful about the way you present things, you know, avoiding this lecturing, like telling people, you know, a long expose on something you know about, telling long stories about people that they, the other person doesn't know. Sometimes people fall into sort of what we call sermonizing, trying to convince you of their way of thinking. It's really about talking with and not at and making sure that you're not positioning the other person as audience and that you're having a kind of parody and give and take. So there's like a lot of topics you can cover if you cover them in a, you know, positive, you know, back and forth kind of way
0: All Right. So start with the weather maybe move to sports then move on to something yeah
1: and yeah. some ways it's a little fishing you just try to throw out a few things and sometimes you can find common interests or say brett so what do you like to do on the weekends and i could say wow i love to do that too i'm really into you know some aspects of whatever you like and then we can you know explore that
0: right yeah the other thing too is sort of about using your environment like if i'm at a wedding and i'm sitting, i'm at a party table i don't know anyone i'll ask like well how do you know mm. the bride or the groom and then that's like that can go like that's a, a con- nice
1: on-ramp right? right
0: lots of great conversation can go from there
1: right and where do you know them and so that's just that's being in the moment we're in this beautiful space we know the same people together and then you know you move into the the next level and then you find more connections.
0: That's great. So uh, another element you talk about in A Good First Impression is self-disclosure.
1: Yes. That's kind of your emotional self-presentation. And you can accelerate or put the brakes on a relationship by how much you disclose of yourself. Sharing something that people wouldn't know about you you know, unless you told them. It's really a way when you share something like a vulnerability or something, you know, about yourself, it really can make people feel more endeared to you. And they it's a compliment to have something, you know, shared with you. That means I like you and I trust you. So again, we start with the basics. It's another on-ramp, you know, it's sort of like I share a little bit, you share a little bit. It's like uh, strip poker. I take off a sock, someone takes off a sock. You don't want to go right, To like the deepest, you know, darkest things right away. You want to ease in and feel out the other person's comfort with disclosing. So you should match. If the person doesn't seem like they want to to go there, then you can, you know, be sensitive to that and, and not share too much more of your personal kind of information. But the things that are really helpful and really appealing is your passions, what you really feel happy about. It brings out, you know, a spark in you. Um, and again, things that are a little bit vulnerable, it's, everyone has vulnerability. So if there's, you know, some, some things that you're comfortable sharing, that's, that's great. It makes people feel back to that connectedness. Right.
0: But you want to, you don't want to go in. We all have them. Right. You don't want to go into too much information territory where you're like the guy, I just got cured of this. You want
1: to share little (laughs) by little (laughs) on the first meeting, just say, you know, I, um, I, what a fool, I, I screwed up on this today or something, or um, just little mistakes or personal vulnerabilities. or Yeah.
0: I'm curious, are there any other elements of a, a good first impression that people, I don't know, either gloss over or don't even think about? So we talked about uh, being accessible and sort of showing interest and self-disclosure. Are there any other mm-hmm. ones you think are really important?
1: One is, another one that's, actually people really don't pay attention to is this dynamics that i was referring to a little bit kind of like the the give and take of the conversation if you're watching people speak in a different language that a language you don't know you can sort of get a whole sense of the vibe without even knowing the content and it's really about like how much in quantity that you share like do you know, dominate or you know not share enough and so that's really helpful to be aware of and usually it's good to be sort of complimentary in that regard. If someone's really shy and looks like they don't feel comfortable, you can maybe speak a little bit more to make them feel comfortable. If someone's really likes to talk a lot and you do too, again, socially generous, let them do a lot of the talking. They'll feel good. So in a first meeting, let them have the, the quantity that they feel comfortable with and you should adapt yourself to them. And pace matters too. There's no speed of speech that's universally appealing. We like others that speak at the same pace as us. So fast talkers like fast talkers and slow talkers like slow talkers. And again, have like that halo effect on them. If you talk faster than other people, then you introduce anxiety. If you've ever been around someone that's talking really fast, you feel this like, ah, like anxiety. So if you're speaking faster than other people, you might want to slow down. And if you speak slowly and people try to finish your sentences, you might want to pay attention to that and maybe not choose your words quite so carefully and speak a little faster. And that can have you know, a pretty strong impact on how people perceive you. And then again, this turn taking and yielding and interrupting, you know, if you might feel like you are looking engaged if you keep interrupting, but you might be sending the unintended message that whatever you have to say is so much more interesting and important than what I have to say. So it's really good form in a first meeting and in general to, to yield to interruptions.
0: In your work with your clients, have you noticed that men make like some common mistakes with their first impression that you don't see women make?
1: Yes. I mean, a lot of this stuff is, you know, gender neutral, but there are some behaviors that are more common in men. And, um, back to when I was talking about like lecturing and storytelling men tend to do what we call male pattern lecturing especially on dates they might know some topic or read some article and they would like to talk at length about it and in feedback they say it makes me feel smart and I feel like I'm giving this you know sharing this information and this is going to be you know make me seem really appealing and uh back to that balance. It might be interesting, but the the poor date seems like an audience member who doesn't have a chance to feel any appreciation or connectedness. So they feel deprived. Uh, they, they, there's a cost by just listening to this, this lecture. Women, by the way, tend to lean more towards that storytelling error of just going into a lot of details about people or friends with problems, et cetera, that the other person doesn't know or particularly care about. Men often also like to sort of show off a little. They want, they look for respect and women look for rapport. Sometimes they will try to insert brags. There's even something that we call the faux segue. So I had a client that asked me if I had pets and I I had canaries and I said yes. And then he quickly segued and said, I have fish and I have a fish tank here in the city. And then one in my house out in Southampton. And he told me later that he specifically asked people about pets so he can insert that he has a house in this prestigious beach community <laughs> um, so that, you know, he can get that brag in in a in a sly manner. So men um, like to insert kind of these brags. They want to find have respect. They, they believe that it's making them come off more positively when a lot of times it doesn't have the intended impact.
0: That's, that's good to know. That's good to know. It's funny how you...
1: Sometimes people call it mansplaining, yeah, too. Yeah,
0: I've heard that phrase. So I'm curious, with this whole first impression rubric you've developed, are, when you are in, say, like a first date or a job interview, is does your approach to your first impression change, or, or do you, use the, you just fall upon the fundamentals no matter the situation?
1: Well, situation's going to matter. So, um, but Here's the thing. When you're, make, when you're on a job interview, showing a lot of interest in the interviewer is really a good thing. It demonstrates that you've got this interpersonal style that's other-oriented, that's caring. Rather than saying, I'm an other-oriented person, if you demonstrate it, so you ask the interviewer, how long have you been at the company and what do you like about it? and You know, engage them in sort of a social conversation. You'll make a better impression because you're going to... Give some of those gifts, you're going to be appreciative and connecting and the person's going to be unconsciously, you know, biased in a positive way towards you. And a lot of people on job interviews kind of neglect to do that. But naturally, once you get into the interview, it's appropriate for you to, you know, respond to the questions, again, being, you know, hopefully brief and, and, and direct and succinct, but it wouldn't be the same as a, obviously as a date.
0: Yeah. I think I've always, I picked up early on when I was doing job interviews when I was in law school is that, and someone told me this, like they're basically trying to figure out if they're going to enjoy working with you. Like they've, they've seen, they've seen your resume. They know you have the credentials. Uh, The interview Mm -hmm. uh, is just there to see: am I going to get along with this person? Am I going to enjoy being at work with this person?
1: Exactly. It's not the most accurate way to assess Job performance, but everyone wants to know that the person's going to be fun and likable. It's this human need, right? We want to be around someone that gives us these social gifts, makes us feel happy. You're not going to be a downer in the next office, right?
0: Right. Don't want to do. Don't be do Debbie Downer. Um, so let's <laughs> let's say uh, you have a bad first impression. Is it possible to recover from one?
1: Yes, it is definitely possible, but remember, you're going to be swimming against the tide because they've already made an impression of you, and they're expecting you to behave in that negative way, but you can actually overcome that. I mean, sometimes I even recommend to people, if they know that they're shy or act differently in new situations, just give a heads up and say, hey, I look forward to meeting you, just want to let you know sometimes I'm a little quiet on first meetings if that's appropriate, that's a helpful thing to do just in advance to prevent it. But after it happens, so so you do something, you make some gaffe, like you maybe talk nonstop and alienated the person. You can sort of do like a post-impression jumpstart. You know, you can, if it's with someone that you're going to interact with again, a new colleague, you can send a quick note saying, hey, it was really great meeting you. Sorry, I was like, blabbing on, i it's not normally my style, I look forward to learning more about you and et cetera, leave it in a little email or text so that they don't have to respond immediately. It's a nice way of just sort of being self-aware and modest and, you know, a little bit generous. Now, obviously, if you're at a dinner party and it's a stranger, it would be inappropriate to chase them down and, and do that. But if it's with someone that you would expect to interact with again, a neighbor, a colleague, also, just over time, if you're uncomfortable doing that, if over time, if you, you know, the next time you see them, you display your positive qualities, eventually the scales will tip and they'll see, you know, the true you. You could also just be a little bit more directive in that. If you know that the person's likes certain things, they like elevation or they like being ha- having intellectual discussions, you could adapt yourself to, like, be more giving the gifts that that person likes. And that can accelerate your recovery. So you can definitely do it. And I mean, we've probably all had the experience where we've misjudged someone, where we have didn't take an immediate liking to them, but then eventually, you know, grew to like them over time. So we've all experienced that, I think. But sometimes, you know, if someone makes a poor impression sometimes you can think, well, maybe that person was a little uncomfortable and and maybe I should cut them some slack, you know, and maybe I should see that if they were talking a lot, that maybe they were just nervous or they were trying to be positive and upbeat. And it was, you know, an unintended message.
0: Yeah. I think the idea that, uh, time can sort of heal your bad first impression wound is powerful because I've had that happen in my life. There's someone I met initially. I was like, Ugh. I don't like to get around along with, but like, because of uh, school or work, I had to interact with them on a regular basis. I get more familiar with them. And then eventually I'm like, Hey, this, this guy's this person's great. Yeah. I don't know why I even thought that in the first place.
1: Yeah. So we should be aware it's helpful. I mean, this whole framework also helps us to be aware of the way we judge others and be more compassionate and generous to other people to realize they may have all kinds of wonderful, positive qualities we haven't yet seen.
0: I love that. Well, Anne, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about your work?
1: So we have a website, firstimpressionsconsulting.com. We also have this book that you mentioned. It's called First Impressions, What You Don't Know About How Others See You by Random House. And it's in 24 languages.
0: Wow. So, okay. We have, a, we have, a, yeah. we have an international audience. So
1: We're solving first impressions worldwide.
0: That's, that's amazing. That's a f- I'm, I'm sure, like, it, does it change for culture? This kind of brings up, it. like, do, do, the way you there approach... There are
1: cultural differences, yes. And so we try to make that very clear that what's going to be appropriate in America is different than in Japan. And there are a lot of subtle differences, but there's a lot of human nature that's really, you know, a core. And these kinds of social gifts are really going to be cross-cultural. That's good to know. And the idea of giving to others first in order to, you know, get what you want in a relationship is is pretty much a, 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 you know, culture-free phenomenon.
0: Right. Universal. Well, Anne Demaray, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: All right. Lovely. Thank you so much for inviting me, Brett.
0: Thank you. My guest today was Anne Demeray. She is the author of the book, First Impressions, What You Don't Know About How Others See You. It's available on amazon.com. You can also find out more information about Anne's work at firstimpressionsconsulting.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash firstimpressions, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. If you enjoy this show, you've gotten something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you take a minute or two to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. That helps us out a lot. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.